away from her, you bitch! Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. I, I call this meeting of the Carter Burke Fan Association to order. And... Um, Yes, let's uh, let's start by all taking the Carter Burke pledge. Uh, it was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad. And, it was a bad call, Ripley. And I'm I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. There you go. Um, hey. <laughs> all right, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel, and I'm Ryan. I'm Michael, Hi. and Michael's back again. Woo-hoo! Just can't get enough. Um, now this is a this is a movie that we're going to be talking about today that um, Michael has no familiarity with at all, no. um, and so he's going to bring you know he's had virgin eyes that he brought to no I'm, yeah uh, this is one of this was uh, one of those that Michael said don't you ever dare talking about the talk about this film um, without me. Yeah. Where does it land uh, on the big top? It is my number five favorite film of all time. Five. Not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And of course, uh, yeah, last week, uh, last week, we, of course, talked about the uh, Ridley Scott's Alien, the original motion picture that uh, spawned this whole epic saga that uh you know brought forth one of the greatest uh alien being character thingies nightmare fuel uh things that ever exist uh and yeah one of the best one of the best movie monsters of all time yeah and one of the best movie heroines of all time yeah sure and that too yeah and um and we uh, so and, but this week, of course, uh, it gets amped up to to not even 11. It gets amped up to like 20. Um, yeah, with, this time uh, it's war is the tagline of the yeah. movie. And, and it very clever, very horror movie kind of film trailer. But still this idea that. That you're throwing a lot more people and a lot more resources at this particular problem and that only that doesn't it isn't a solution in and of itself that's that's mm-hmm. only only escalates things to this more intense right thing and it, it's i'll say a couple things about it before we play the deep dive theme just just in general one i i believe and this may be the just the 80s nerd in me and that's just gonna we're just gonna have to live with that i try and balance that 
<laughs> we're talking on these shows, but that's obviously a big, big part of it. I know it is for Michael. I know it is for Joel. Um, I really do believe this is the best film sequel ever of all time. I, um, I always, I always rank this and the road warrior as the two like yeah. greatest sequels of all and time. Road warrior is a really, really good one. That's way, way up there. I agree. We'll, those deep dives are coming. Rest assured. Yeah. I I'm inviting myself. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. It'll might be a bit since we, since we've, bit off some really really big iconic stuff lately but nevertheless i i I agree with you there uh empire strikes back obviously that you want to say that is that's that was a planned saga though so it it it's as even though that's a fantastic movie it really is i like it on the whole better it's not it doesn't have the the trappings of the usual sequel it really had this continuing story feel to it which gives it an advantage really uh, this was this this was a young director who, when he got this job, at least of writing it and adapting it, hadn't even really done a hadn't even had a hit movie yet, and it, he just made this exact same movie again, but completely different. And it, to me, that's that's the that's the blessing, you know. So Godfather Two, you can suck it and everything else. Uh, to me, it's totally aliens. It's because, because it truly is a sequel. In it has all the trappings of a sequel, absolutely, and yet it meets the challenges of one head on and with almost complete success at every turn. And that and to me is stunning. It changes its it changes the genre. Right, that's it's, what's even yes. crazier. Right. You know, it's, it's still not, primarily a science fiction movie, yes, but instead but of science fiction movie. horror, yeah. it's a yeah. combat movie. Yeah, and yet. Even though it's a combat movie, it loses none of the horror inherent in no. it. So that's yeah. that's what we're talking about, and we're going to go through it blow by blow. And it just it's going to be an awesome. There, it's not without. It's not perfect. It's not without criticism, but it just it's just really, and really, it, really good. <laughs> and it's uh, you know one of and one of the brilliant things about it is is simply the name of the film, in my opinion. Right. It's the fact that we've gone from we've gone from aliens or alien. And now years later, we're going to launch this thing. And we, you know, kind of without fanfare of title, at least Mm -hmm. it's not alien Two. more of them. Here they come. It's literally just. Aliens. Just slap that S on at the end. Tells you everything. And, everything and you need to know. Suddenly a whole nother shebang. She <laughs> right. thought they said illegal aliens and signed up. There okay. it is. Okay. Here we go. Let's jump into the deep dive of James Cameron's aliens. Hey, y'all remember 1986? Sure. 1986 was a good year. Yep. It was a fun year. I guess. And it was... Uh... If you're a Reagan <laughs> voter. Yeah. Um, 
the <laughs> the story actually starts back in 1983ish 84 i don't know the exact date but it was when cameron was a, this, he had the script going around going around hollywood and it wasn't like all the big studios were fighting over it but a ton of people had read it and thought it was awesome and so he got this reputation as like a up and coming screenwriter because he'd only directed one movie he came from the technical side of film the you know he did all the matte paintings and special effects and the escape from new york and he designed mm-hmm. that weird organic looking spaceship and uh, and built the model in uh what's the movie the magnificent seven in space the roger corman movie uh, it was oh, Galaxy uh, of Terror. No, that but he, he worked on that too. Yeah. Um, anyway, he was a Roger Corman designer and and basically do it all guy. He was this wonder kid who could literally you could say, well, we want to do this, and he'd be like, okay, and he'd disappear and he'd come back and he'd find a way to put that crazy idea you had on screen. And he did this time and time again. But what Cameron really wanted to do was. Direct, he wanted to write his own movies and then he wanted to direct them he wanted to be in charge of them he took a he took a based on his experience behind the camera he took the job of the piranha sequel right. piranha 2 the spawning which is kind of important movie for him he, he got he made friends with lance henriksen that's been an important friendship through the years at least through most of the years and most of the big successes and um, and that has a fun story where they fired him from the movie and he broke into the editing bay every night after everyone had gone home and tried to re-edit the movie. Oh my god! Like he didn't care that he'd been fired. He refused to fly home from Italy and he tried to he tried to edit his own film without others knowing it. <laughs> and he made himself sick and he, they threatened to arrest him and the, finally they put him on a plane back to America and it was on this plane ride back to America that he had this dream of this robot rising out of the fire, this sort of fever nightmare that became Terminator. And Terminator hadn't even been made yet when he met with Brandywine to pitch his story ideas for films. Um, and he pitched several things, including an early version of The Abyss, which was the spy movie, underwater spy movie, or basically that he'd written. And I promised you guys a David Geiler impression last week, so I'll do it. This David Geiler took the pitch. The meeting was like, um, we don't want to do any of that, but I heard that your robot movie is uh, got a lot of people excited, and uh, we got a couple things that we're looking for uh, writers on. Maybe you might be interested in. Uh, one of them is uh, Alien Two. And of course, Cameron, the way he tells it is, you know, same as his pitch. He pitched these three ideas. Geiler threw three things that they actually wanted to make back at him. And when he heard Alien Two, he said he had to keep physically keep from leaping out of the chair and begging to have a shot at that. And, you know, guy was like, so, uh, if you think you might want to make a pass at that one. And of course he did. And he took the writing assignment away. And then he got another writing assignment. It's all based on the Terminator script to write the sequel to first blood. (laughs) And he asked his agent, he's like, well, I want to do the aliens one, but it means like do them both, man. Do them both. Do it all. Take both jobs and do the best you can. 
I, I want to interject because I remember watching an interview with Galen Hurd about the uh, the pitch uh, mm-hmm. of aliens. Like, I guess something they didn't like anything they had, and he started to walk out. And somebody, I guess it was Guyler, said, "What about this aliens thing?" With a yeah. better impression, and he stopped. Alien two turned around. Sure, that's what, that's how I remember Galen Hurd explaining it. Like he, he he literally stopped and like, oh, let me go back. You know, anyway. It, whether that's it. exactly what happened or not, that is yeah, yeah. metaphorically what happened. They all yeah. froze in place, essentially, and hopped on this thing and really, really wanted to do it. And Cameron said, well, I want to, I'll write that, sure, yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it my best, And but I really want to direct it. And Guyler said, well, we'll see how the robot movie does, and yeah. then we'll talk the about it. But t- take a stab at the... I don't know. I Part of this is me... I don't know what Guyler's exact words were, but I just... I'm trying to do my best essence of him as I can. <laughs> um, the, the uh, you know, that's how he got the gig. And he's writing uh, First Blood Part Two, and he's writing Aliens, and they're setting up Terminator, and they're directing it, you know, on the fly with about seven million bucks, all at night in on location in L.A. with like not a lot of you know industry support, and he's doing all these projects and just juggling act at the same time. And, uh, of course, Terminator came out, and it wasn't like some massive hit, but for a cheap B-killer robot movie, it was a huge hit. It lapped the other films of 1984 at the box office. Like 2010, it made more money than that. It made more money than Dune. It made more money than, you know, all these other big Star Wars sort of in the wake of projects that came out during that time. Uh think Krull was 83 but it certainly Aww. made more money than Krull um you know so <laughs> the glaive so it was working so they basically made the deal Gail was a very shrewd producer for such a young woman and for such a kind of um they talk about it everybody out so I'll mention it too but everybody who talks about her mentions her that she's sort of this you know she's a kind of petite person woman mm-hmm. and stuff and, and even though she's clearly the person in charge it was really difficult for not so much the terminator crew who were all in lockstep to make this movie but when they went over to england to make aliens everybody nobody was impressed with them nobody had seen terminator everybody was mad that ridley scott wasn't making a sequel ridley scott was mad and went ahead and mentioned that to somebody and that word got around so the british people were they showed up to work on it, and the, the work that got on screen, you can't argue, is it's mm. awesome. But they fired Dick Bush. They fired their cinematographer just a, just a week into shooting. Um, they tried to, or they did fire and then had to rehire their first assistant director because they couldn't get along with him. Um, I don't remember who it is on the on uh, Charles's documentary, but there's this great story about tea time in England. And this was something Cameron just made him lose his mind twice a day. Some British lady came in with a tea trolley and everybody just dropped what they were doing. Cause there was this, <laughs> cause there was this limited amount of scones and little breaded things that you could get. And if you didn't get to the trolley in time, you didn't get one. Yeah, and so, so yeah. and he, he's in the middle of working and it's all of a sudden there's this exodus twice a day for tea time. This is something he just absolutely couldn't understand. I think it's Henriksen that tells the story, but I, it, <laughs> it, it I, again, we highly recommend you watch that. The, that name of that documentary, I remember. It's Maximum Firepower: The Making of Aliens. 
Um, and it's a fantastic first-hand account documentary with tons of behind-the-scenes footage. And it, the story of the battle for making aliens, just the fights day in and day out over everything. Um, Cameron, when he fired Dick Bush, who was lighting the thing like a, like a, you know, like a coffee commercial for TV, basically. And it wasn't so much that they weren't willing to work with Dick, who's a, like a renowned cinematographer. It's just, there's just no meeting of the minds at all on what the right. thing would be. Cameron has a way he wants the movie and Dick's like, well, you hired me. I'm going to shoot it the way I want to shoot it. I mean that, so they just couldn't, you know, it's not like they just got rid of him. They, they really tried to make it work and just couldn't make it work. So they got rid of him and, and Cameron called uh, Derek Van Lint who shot alien and was like, look, we're shooting this spherically. It's totally different than what you did on alien. Maybe you'd be willing to try it something new or whatever. And Van Lint said, no, but the guy who, one of the operator focus puller guys on the thing is really, really talented. I think he's ready to do a film. Mm -hmm. And his name was Adrian Biddle. Right. Who became the cinematographer of aliens. First, first movie as cinematographer. Wow. <laughs> you know, huh. but Biddle is obviously went on to have a crazy, awesome career. Um, was willing to, work with the director. I mean, that's really all you had to do. And Cameron had a lot of experience. Bill Paxton famously says, you know, problem with Jim, especially at that, in that era when he was younger was that if there were just, if he, if there were just a hundred of him, he could do everything he wanted to do. And the problem is nobody is quite like him and yeah. he's a director and he can't just go fix this model or paint this thing or do this. He's got to have other people doing it for him. And he was really demanding and, and the British, uh, British artists working on that film just hated that and they really hated him after he fired that first assistant director mm. because he even though he was obnoxious he was he, he was sort of the guy in England he was the dude who was sort of secretly in charge of everybody if you will you know what I mean he was the top ranked British guy until Biddle was hired on the film Anyway, that's a lot of background, but they just just know that it was you know it was a small budget film. The awesome Sulaco model that we see you only ever see it on one side because right. they only had the money to they paint one side it. of it in detail. <laughs> I remember reading that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's watching just it, that. Yeah. watching it this past uh, watching it this past week uh, it, uh, to refresh my uh, refresh my brain on it. Literally looked like um, they just took one of the one of the rifles yeah <laughs> and just it looked like they just put one of the rifles and put that Into close space. to the screen yep so that, <laughs> it's very deliberate yeah. They, uh yeah. ron cobb wanted it to look like a rifle in space that's exactly right well sure but i mean literally it looked like oh the actual, they the literally had, props. they ran out of money and so they were just yeah, like not, just not bring one of the guns over and not we'll so put much a, but but yeah, still but, uh, it it does look like that is what it looks like. I agree. The rifles don't look like normal rifles either. So everything's mm -hmm. been designed, but all those guns, you know, they all had to work. They didn't have to shoot bullets, but they had to shoot blanks. They had to operate. They had to just create all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, the, the levels of effects work that are happening in that movie for that tight a budget, it, it is incredible how resourceful they were on mm -hmm. that film and how huge and massively epic a thing that it feels like in a way that Alien, other than when they're on LV-426, Alien doesn't really feel like a big movie. It feels like a trapped in a closet with a monster movie, which is, yeah. you know, which works. 
as we've talked mm-hmm. about. But mm-hmm. he wanted it to be a whole other thing, a whole an escalation in every way he could think of to make it. He wanted to make it that. And yet every big moment, every big beat from Alien is transferred over and done something sort of fresh with. And occasionally it's just transferred over so that you're seeing enough of the same types of sequences that you mm-hmm. start to feel comfortable with what you're watching. And then he flips something on you. And when he does that, for good or ill, depending on the thing in the story, it's so much. It's so surprising and ultimately rewarding. And that's that's why I really do believe it's it's kind of best sequel ever. I, I really love it for that reason because they are doing what a sequel should do. You want more alien. This gives you that. And yet it, then it gives this in every way, it gives this extra layer of stuff on top of it. But I, I, I think the biggest benefit for me of this film is the expansion. I'm, I'm assuming we'll get to it, but the expansion of Ripley and, and making her. Well, so... let's talk about that. What's the next chapter on the list? Well, we're going to go into the beginning of the movie. Here, 57 so... years later. Yeah, there's so, no, there's no, that doesn't come across the screen or anything, but I always think of that. Yeah. Ever since that number was revealed to me, when I revisited the film, I'm always like, 57 years later. It's such a great number and such a, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a dis, and it's such a disorienting feeling for both us and the character. Right. Because we yeah. pick up with her right after she's closed her eyes and gone to sleep. They, yeah. Her, the ship, just like she had hoped. Maybe not as soon as she'd hope, but just like she'd hope, wandered through the the little warning nets that are outside our solar system, and was picked up by a deep salvage team who think, hey, with this, with this we found the fl- another floating piece of metal. Looks like it might be intact. It might be worth something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when they find somebody alive on board, then it's no longer a salvage. There goes it's our a salvage rescue. guy. Yeah. There goes our. Salvage but, that, but you gotta you well, gotta talk also- about the fact that the the machines that come in and unweld it. And, and they have that lo- wonderful little music cue that it has the shape of a xenomorph well, head as it comes in. It's, it's terrifying. This is a great mm-hmm. Gail Ann Hurd moment, both of these. Uh, you know, Cameron's like, yeah, we got the one welding machine, but it would be so much better in both moments, this moment, and then a very key, not unwelding something, but welding something together late if we had, you know, if it was teamwork, if there were two of them. And she was like, well, then buy one. And he's like, well, go get money from the studio. So they had no more money from the studio. If you want that, just go get it. You'll find other ways to use it. And he's like, well, and I want this laser thing or whatever. And she's like, good, go buy that too. (laughs) She basically was protecting him from the studio. She's like, they're not going to, every time you have an idea and you want more money, they're, they're going to, it's already hard enough. The situation we're in this you know, they're not going to just give you everything you want. If you want that, go get it. And of course that cheesy disco laser light deal that's shown up in the trailer for Terminator two. And it's shown up in all these other James Lightstorm entertainment movies because he paid his own money for it. <laughs> and then they just put it, they yep. mounted it on a film crane basically, but it's, it's so innovative and it's so cool looking. And I mean, it, it, the whole thing works so well. Yeah. Because of just yeah. the integrity with the way he shoots everything and the way he tells the story with the tools that he has. So let's uh, let's quick let's quick talk tonally about the beginning of the movie before we get into uh, some of the things that we learn right at the beginning of the movie. Um, is you know it's it is it takes you know we we come across the ship floating in space. Uh, and Michael, you're right when the when the welding uh, happens. I mean. When the welding happens, you're kind of like, okay, that that you know, that's human. That's you know, that's probably 
uh, her getting rescued here. Um, but you're right. That moment um, that uh, the machine, you know, the, the sort of machine comes in, yeah. it's got sort of a, it's got sort of a very fluid Round sort of, head, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and it comes in and you're like, Oh, okay. Well maybe this is, it's the same sort of uh, bait and switch that the first movie does with the, with the, um, with the ship and the, and the, the uh, engineer sitting there, uh, but, but sort of, but then the, you know, then they come in and they're in their hazmat suits and in the first words you hear I mean, is, is, you know, uh, she's, uh, the, looks like she's alive. And then it's the, well, pff, there goes, there our, goes salvage our, guys. There goes our salvage guys. Yeah, just a and couple working you, stiffs in space. Yeah. Yep. Again, it goes back to that. This is routine. This is just, this mm-hmm. is the future. This is what, um, you know, this is the journey of humanity is there's, you know, there's always going to be these blue collar type jobs. It's just, it's going to be blue, you know, the, the blue collar jobs are going to be space mining instead of, you know, working in a mine in West Virginia or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I love tonally that, that it, again, it sets it up and then you, then you cut to, uh, the, the, the station, whatever that, whatever, uh, gateway. With. gateway, thank you. Gateway station. And, um, yeah. And there's recognize uh, this place. Like yeah. That. Oh yeah. And we get the introduction to Burke. Well, yeah, it, you know, Ripley wakes up and the nurse visits her. And yeah, we get this, this, the, the company man who's assigned to Ripley's case. And it's the, it's played by Paul Reiser, which is just brilliant casting and a really brilliant performance. Um, Joel is, is the Carter Burke on assignment look. I yep. didn't bring out my suit coat with the collar that goes up, but that would have been cool too. Don't let that fool you. I'm really an okay guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's so great. Paul Reiser, of course, uh, best known as a stand-up comic. Yeah, and, at that time, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, you know, with a very uh, and his stand-up comedy style, it, he wasn't he didn't work blue. He was a very affable. You know, he was part of the stand-up boom but his material uh was very seinfeldian yeah uh but but even more so it was more deliberately self-deprecating than even Mm -hmm. seinfeld is it was a little less i mean it was still let's talk about our experience on the airlines but it was it was his humor has always been so awesome because he's he's not like he's full of self-hatred or anything he's a really funny guy but he has these moments of you know, the joke is always on him and his stories. That's what's mm-hmm. fun. And his approach to that is fun. He's like a mix of, uh, he's like Seinfeld and George, if you put them in a blender and. Yeah, but it's like, I did, had no knowledge because my two dads was what a couple years after this, I think. Right. So I had no insight yeah. into who this guy was. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty taken in, but I mean, that was the truth of most of this. But cast. it was, you don't have any preconceived it, it, notions. I mean, he's people. perfect. He's this perfect eighties yuppie looking guy. Yeah. You know, even if it is in the distant future, he's exactly what the guy's supposed to represent on screen, even though that's not really what he is. But Joel's right. Casting a comedian, you know, in this role and having the bravery to not be prejudiced against him because of that was great because his, timing and his humor again and again and again and really humanize him and lighten up these dark military type situations that we get into it's really awesome and that yeah but you know i work for the company but 
don't let that fool you. I'm really but, an okay guy. It's just yeah. it's everything we know about the company, and and here we are, 57 years later, still acknowledging that they're terrible. And you know, it it's really really funny. And he's the one that has to break the news to her that she's been asleep for a long time. He's got that whole has no one told you this. He's not the one who wants to give her of course the story. Mm-hmm. But he does. 57 years. You were out there for 57 years, kiddo. Yeah. And. Damn lucky to be alive, kiddo. Yep. Yeah, it's. Yep. But I think and, and, I think the benefit to having Riser though is because he is such a seemingly nice guy, and then to realize where the Burke character goes. Yeah, we do, we're gonna a, go there. Is, you don't need to. I know, but I'm saying that the initially it's like okay, he seems pretty okay. He seems you know? more I mean, than they, okay. He's a super friendly, nice guy who is full of good okay advice guy. and yeah. support, even though yep. he's kind of useless company stooge. He's very likable. Yeah. I yeah, and if smart, you were familiar casting. with him, he really he really was only known for Diner and the Beverly Hills Cop movies at this point, right. in which he plays, you know, Diner, he was a stand-up comic in Beverly Hills Cop. He's just kind of this, you know, his job was to drive the Ferrari around to make <laughs> it seem like uh, <laughs> Axel Foley was still in... Uh, in yep, um, pretty funny. Uh, He's a funny uh, guy. Anyway, so um, so uh, uh, yeah. dream, uh, the dream sequence we'll talk about. The dream, so yeah, so she's talking about you like get fifty seven years. Oh my gosh, you, I can't believe no one's talked to you about this. Uh, you know, hey, oh hey, are you okay? And she's like, oh, oh it's like bad indigestion. Fifty seven years of no, sleep. but the fact that Jones reacts in a way that we are familiar with. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. And let's issue. talk about yeah. this. Let's quickly talk about this. It is Jones no. freaking Even out that makes yeah. us feel like this is very real and this is happening. yeah we get the jones suddenly and what does jonesy then do jonesy just like trots away. away just trots away and looks back and is like i'm gonna watch this so the person who saved my butt before and even got in me ripley's home. dream jones even in ripley's dream jonesy yep. is just mm, jones but it's it's um, intense when you, it's it's intense anyway because it's done in an intense way and because uh because Hold. James Horner's alien metal clanking is like really jarring, powerful thing that comes in. And that when you see that lump on her chest get bigger and bigger, I mean, it. we're not ready in this moment for this kind of thing to be happening no. at all. And of course, she wakes up. It's a nightmare. It, it You know, there's that relief or whatever. Hey, we have a guest. Hi, we ben. have a guest today. Yeah, we had... Hey, Matt Goklug. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, but I think fan. what's great about I'm it, a, I mean, I'm a big fan of you, Michael Klug. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. It's just a rinse. <laughs> wow, I've never gotten that before. I'm not. Woo-hoo! He's not a big fan of me. I'm a big fan of you, Ryan. So it's good. Oh, all right. But I, I think what's great. I mean, the because I know I think we're going to get into this later about Cameron's writing, mm-hmm. right? But I think some of the amazing lines and you get your first real one here is when she says, do you want something to help you sleep? And Ripley's like, I've slept enough. Yeah. Which is so as a kid, I didn't quite get what that meant. Oh, she's okay. Yeah. She just woke up not realizing, Oh, it's the 57 years of sleep. You know, it's such a smart, wonderful line that I don't think everyone probably caught. Well, and I'm going to, we can't do this with the whole movie, but I'm going to ask you to do your quick impression of the nurse over the video after she says, I've slept enough. Because I know you have one. Do I? <laughs> yeah, well, you've done well, it for I... me before. It's, and then the thing goes off. It's that, you know, it's every, yeah. in a James Cameron film, 
it, it, unlike a Ridley Scott film where things, Ridley Scott's a visualist and he forces you to see things yeah. and, you know, but there's always, a, there's a spontaneity to his films that aren't yeah. necessarily part of Cameron's. Cameron's films aren't that spontaneous. They're very, even his scripting, which you can, you know, James Cameron won Best Director and Best Film for Titanic, which is one of the only films in the history of the Academy Awards to not have a screenplay nomination screenplay. to win Best yeah. Picture. Right, right. Because people don't think too much of his writing. Okay. But he he writes a smart script, a really well-structured story, first off, from yes. like which what happens in what act and you know where the surprises and twists are and where the where we can milk things and where we got to cruise like he just has an innate sense of filmmaking that starts with his writing but it is writing smart there are these codas it's remind the guy the the screenwriter everybody praises that it reminds me of is john sales john if you watch a movie especially one he directs but really anyone he writes he doesn't you don't get to leave the scene without some sort of i don't want to say like couplet but Right. You know, some sort of landing the idea at the end of the scene, like it yeah. is always in play. And Cameron, he does that a lot too, and it's very powerful. That's interesting. I've never really made that observation, but now thinking about it, I'm like, yeah. But it it is something that I think maybe gets you deeper into the world. You know that there, you know, you're not just cutting away to just the main things. I mean, like you said, with this nurse, you get her little final reaction. Yep, it's the last time you we know, see I her. Mean, yeah, and old. Um, Hold. Uh, also, um, you know, this is a movie that uh, is all about PTSD before PTSD was really Absolutely. a thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I sort of that that the attitude of the nurse where she's like, and it's just like, oh, and then the signing up <laughs> to me, it is it is that it, well, it's sort of that. But oh, nobody, you're just, nobody you're knows yet. Okay. It's nobody yeah. necessarily knows. No, that's true. Nobody knows. Nobody but her knows the story yet. But it, it's a, it's a good to remark on that because both with this movie was changed a lot from how he wrote it. But both the two films he wrote at the same time are both Vietnam allegories, and they both are full of PTSD and dealing with that yeah. head on. And that's he didn't do that on a whim. He researched that idea. He talked to people, talked to soldiers, talked to veterans. That that made it into both films, and this well, one where he maintained creative control to the end, it really really sings in it. We are talking about the director's cut, such as it's called, or special yeah. edition. Special edition is its technical name. But Cameron has said that's that's his preferred version. Well, um, I think the one thing to say about the fact that you know we talk at length about how long it takes for you to like Ripley in the original film. Obviously, we have the benefit of knowing what her journey has been. We've survived along. This, is, a, this is an immediate thing. Like with this dream, we yeah. are one hundred percent on board with her from the moment we she appears. Do you know what I mean? It's yep. like it's built in. But I think Cameron kind of seals the deal with yep. the dream and the you well. Know, this she's she, dealing with all this. You know, Alien. Alien was a movie where you really didn't know when it started who 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 sure. your hero was. It that's a brave thing to do. I wrote a script once. And Michael's big note to me was got to know who the hero is. And I was just like, I can't bring myself. It's the only note of Michael's in all of my writing experience that I refuse to take because I just want my, I want it to be a surprise. I want it to reveal itself in time. Yeah. But this movie's different. She's a star now. She's been in Ghostbusters. She's been in You're Living Dangerously. Yeah. She's been nominated for an Oscar. No, not, not yet, yet. But oh, she's yeah. about to be. Yep. You know, the, she didn't really want to do a sequel to Aliens. And she really, when she read it, didn't want to do a big 
shooting movie with all these guns and stuff. Oh, it really, you know, it took a lot of convincing. Well, she's to get kind her of a pacifist, it. right? So that, I remember hearing that or reading an interview or something. That More than that, she, she just, about she the just guns, hates guns you know? and doesn't want to be yeah. around them, doesn't want to glorify them. She just, you know, and. I think what she did have just use flashlights like they did for ET once upon a time. <laughs> I think what she you mean walkie-talkies? Oh yeah, flashlights when they come yeah. walking in the house. Yeah, yeah. Um he he had to convince her that he didn't really like guns either. Even though he's a he's the so biggest he was doing gun. the Ridley Scott. I don't really like these kind of movies either. Well, but he doesn't. <laughs> it's all of his films up until this point are all anti-nuclear war films. This right. one included. They all have actually all the way through True Lies, other than they all have nu- nukes going off in them sure, and showing yeah. what a terrible thing that is. Like he 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 isn't. It's he's into guns. He'll admit that, but he isn't pro gun. Like he is. He, he his films don't demonstrate that if you got a gun, you're awesome. You're well, yeah, it doesn't demonstrate that they're going to be an end all be all. It doesn't even really problem. save. Her her learning that stuff, the character doesn't really even save her in the end. Gives her a little bit of a moment of catharsis, but she's saved by her wits and her tenacity, not not the guns. And mm-hmm. you know, all his films are like that. So I get what he's saying. He had to make that case though on behalf of himself. He was a stranger to her. He's like, sure. that's you have to trust me that that's in there. That your feelings actually, even though this is a big violent shoot 'em up film, that your feelings are going to be represented in the final product. Yeah. Um, what she really, really did like about the script was that the, she, the, it is revealed uh, in the second scene in the director's cut that she's uh-huh. a mother and that oh, she left God. behind a young daughter at, who has died while she's been out in space. Of this old age, time. apparently, right? Yeah. Amanda is... Ripley McLaren, they bring out a picture of this old yep. lady. Um, it, this scene was cut out of the theatrical cut, the whole... The whole through line of her having a kid basically was edited out, and it that again that uh, up, upset <laughs> that upset Sigourney a lot when she saw the premiere of the version because she thought that was the whole thing. I think Gail Ann Hurd was her idea to cut the stuff out was like it that plays anyway her maternal instincts and it, it of course it, it does it does but the the issue is is like stuff I know we're going to talk about that doesn't need to be in the special edition. In my mind, that, yes, her maternal instinct is apparent, but having this information to me just opens up an entire world of emotion for Ripley. Like there's just, it just, it's such an amazing history. It, it that takes you, her just, from a very different place. She's no longer, so rich. she's yeah. no longer one of these Nostromo crew members who only have last names and can only deal with the situation in front of them. Yeah. She's in the very first and second scene of the movie she's the star of the thing she's our focus our our emotional tether to the world of the story she's all that stuff that mm-hmm. a big star in a big movie should be and this is a, and i would agree yeah. it's a big part of it it's a big thematic part of the film it is motherhood exactly in, in, in its in in its purest way like this or even in its darkest way like a mother of yep. a hive an animal hive it's like it's the the you take something away thematically from it when you take that well, out. We also get the benefit of of getting a little more from 
from Burke as far as being sympathetic. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's it's just a little extra on his end that you could yeah use. You know, yeah, Burke. I mean, and 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 to, to get back, uh, I was gonna my segue was gonna be one of the things we know about Cameron. Also, you know, in addition to maybe he he you know he's critical of of warfare, but kind of, you know, digs guns. He is very critical of big business and corporations. Um, and uh, and yeah. then we cut to the inquest. We And and oh, again, God. this is what Carter Burke is. And Geiler, know, David Geiler must have loved that when he read this script, because that's something that the previous director and previous writers didn't like, that he, that he alone brought to Alien, really. And yeah. here it is, front and center in the sequel. Yeah. Like, I'm... I know yeah, and it's like, as and it's tickled body, as that guy's dark little heart can get, I'm quite certain that he thought it was pretty cool. And, and, you know, and what the, in the inquest, essentially, you know, what, what we learned from the inquest is into what happened uh, on um, with the Nostromo crew and everything is that, you know, look, all of these things happened. We're going to, you know, we're going to, even if we agree with you, we still have to point the finger at somebody. Somebody still has to be responsible, and you're the one saying yourself that you blew all this stuff up. So yeah. therefore, we understand you sorry, were under Ripley. duress. You know, we're not yeah. going to send you to jail at this time. Yeah, at this time. Yeah, yeah. but we, you are going to be what? It's some great Cameron psychobabble. You will be subject to a period of psychometric probation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, they I, strip her of her officers. Your, li uh, your license. I want to do suspended. a quick impression, though. And found something never recorded once in over 300 surveyed were anyway. Yeah. I always yeah. love that and woman. She's great. And, we get, and the know, guy and next to her who can't stay awake in the meeting, like the whole thing is. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's really, really well, and good. And there's little additions too in this, in the special edition, the just little chunks of things you get. Yep. Yeah. And the, um, and you know, and then we get Carter Burke again, and this, you know, frankly, sort, the slideshow sort of behind her, the backdrop of the film, it's in this little, conference table but the yeah. slideshow of the crew you get to see each yeah, one just, of them from the Nostromo deceased, crew deceased <laughs> yeah. going and by in know. the background it's um, it's powerful. Well, it and, really is. And yeah, and and the moment, um, and and this is you know a great a great little moment too. But the moment where she is just you know where she's really standing up for herself and saying no, that's not all. Blah blah. blah. Who's Did in the background just behind her? Sharply while I was yeah. away. Yeah. And who's in the background? Who's on the screen behind her? And that's Dallas, all going on. It? Dallas is on the screen at that. Yeah. And it's like yeah, because you know what? She's in charge. She's you know she was the one who. Um, but I mean, really the thing you get out of this scene um, is that. The colonization. I mean, that's the yeah, important is thing that, from this. Is that know? we learn right? And know, even after the judgment has come down, she rushes after the chairman. Uh, it's a pretty good actor. I can't remember his name, and she just says, "Because I don't have to." She goes, "Look, you have to send somebody out. You have to at least check this out." And he's like, "We don't have to do that. We've had people living there for years, for and they've never years. complained about any yep. hostile Style organism. Organ. It's what we call a shake and bake colony." Yeah, they've been terraforming yeah. on that moon for all for this like time. Two and she's like, yeah. how many people? And he's like, oh, 60 or 70 families. 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 Oh. Yeah, and then again, that's the other way that and you, again, you know. And again, Cameron puts the punctuation on the end of the scene. Families. families. Jesus. Um, and <laughs> and uh, I know I know, we have to discuss, because it goes in the special edition, then goes to LV-426. But we, I agree with Ryan. I have always hated the loss of that dissolve, the cigarette ash dissolve. Oh yeah. From that scene, I, as a of course, kid, that we I didn't learned. know. I didn't know Bupkiss about yeah. filmmaking, but that always intrigued me. 
Cameron's beautiful dissolves are a part of his filmmaking. This one happened by accident. There's a whole another reel of film that was supposed to go here. So this dissolve, it I, I, I've said it to Michael before. It's stunning to me that that dissolve from the from the from the meeting to the cigarette at to the cigarette smoke was never planned. It was just this happy accident when they got rid of this reel. It is so beautiful. This is, uh, we, we got Michael uh, on the books for another episode. Aliens is going to go two episodes, so it's, we can just calm down and recognize that. We're <laughs> almost an hour into the show, and we're not, <laughs> we're nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So, next week, which was going to be all the other Aliens movies, which I really do think is doable in one episode, is going to be Aliens. Very doable in that episode. Aliens Part 2. Probably. Well, um, even the worst Alien movie has some fun behind-the-scenes stories to it. But, yeah, we should be able to do those in one show. So maybe this will be four episodes. We'll talk about all that later. But as far as production meetings in show go, this one's clearly not – we're not going to make it. There's no chance. Seeing how the sausage is made. Um, all right. So let's – do you want to talk about the whole missing reel? Do you yeah. want to talk about that right now? Might as well. All right, go. Yeah, because I I'll, here's what I'll say real quick. Here's what I'll say real quick. Uh, in preparation for this, I decided to watch the theatrical cut. Oh, oh really? Uh, yeah, I did not because I, I I wanted to just take in what was seen in in '86. Yeah. And but you've um, seen yeah. the director's cut, so you but do I've, kind of I've know seen the this. I've seen the director's cut many many times. Yeah. Well, well, I, Michael and I. But that aside, Michael and I both said through the years that this. This was a good cut, actually. If you needed to buy time, it's a good cut. This also was Gail Ann Hurd's idea. He's he because Cameron was frustrated. He wrote a really well written script. He shot it. He edited it as tightly as he could, and he couldn't get the thing under almost two forty. And it needed to be. They were willing to go about two eighteen or so, which was actually right. pretty generous for the time. But he yeah. needed to get there, and he didn't know where he could buy twenty minutes. One of the the big one that Gail said, "Well, just cut out real three. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and what? <laughs> I mean, he had this, this. Is, this is the interesting thing because basically everything in the special edition I need yeah. and want. Yes. This sequence, watching it two weeks ago, yeah. it, I don't need it at all because I think the the discovery when they land is far creepier if we have yeah. nothing to base it on. It's so a, I it's think a good needs, cut. It's, that yeah. said, it's not a bad sequence in and of itself. So no, let's talk no. about it. Um, we cut immediately from there to, uh, this outpost that we just was mentioned. Again, it's well-structured and well-written. We know right where we are because we were just talking about this place. And you got the kids on big wheels playing in the hallways of this place. And we get to see the, where the entire second half of the film takes place in its full and its well-lit living, breathing form, which I think is kind of yeah, neat. And we get another glimpse into that working stiff blue collar scenario. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in full view there. Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, don't ask. Yeah. Don't ask. Why, why, why don't you ask? Cause it takes, it takes three weeks to get an answer out here. And the answer is always, always don't, don't ask. ask. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's a little overwrought, but still those guys are kind of fun. The kids playing around, seeing this group of kids. It's a little jarring, right? It, it's it's unnerving knowing It is because you know where the story's going. This this it, isn't yeah. good that there are these kids playing around here. This is terrible. We're we're all having the same reaction that Ripley did when she heard that there are families on this planet just, you know, walking distance from this terrible thing you know hundreds hundreds of eggs down there it could but i they, mean i it can impregnate I the whole place 
Yeah, but I mean, I I don't think this affected me. I mean, obviously, having seen the the theatrical cut thousands of times, when I first saw the special edition, I think with you, Ryan, mm-hmm. is seeing the kid thing. If you if you were watching it first time with the kid thing, yeah, it's unnerving. But I think knowing having known where it's going to be and where, how they're going to be discovered is it's, it is really upsetting. You know, it's, yeah, I think so. I mean, in that way, know, so I, it, I appreciate a, that little chunk of the, it's sequences. a tonally very light scene. And yet if you really think about what you're seeing, it, it, it is, it, it is a, it, there's pretense of yeah. terrible things to come. And I then mean, we cut to uh, the guy they were just talking about, this prospector who's out yep. investigating a, quote, grid reference. And we see them. It's him, his wife, his son, and his daughter. Um, and they're they're pulling up as they're chit-chatting. And she's, you know, the kids are fighting in the backseat. I mean, it's just this very domestic thing. And... Uh, and they pull up, and you, we see the the ship the again. It's not alien, in quite yeah. such a grandeur sort of way, but we he does it in a very clever way, where he does shows the scale of it. You just tip up and see the very kind of tip of the that familiar texture to the derelict mm-hmm. spacecraft yeah. hanging down over you. He says we you know we did the best we could with that with Ridley's film. It was this entire section. It was this. The, you know, the centerpiece of his movie with me, it's only going to be in the movie for a couple seconds. In the end, it wasn't, in the, movie. <laughs> it wasn't in the movie at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know what it is and they don't know. And they're like, well, should we go check it out? And they're like, yeah. yeah. And so they, Let's mom and dad leave the kids behind in the car. They talk about playing hide and seek. I mean, it's again, it foreshadows all this stuff. Yeah. They talk about playing hide and seek and how the little girl um, is better at hiding than all the other kids. Cause she can fit into all these little crawl spaces and stuff that they can't. Well, Carrie. So Carrie Han, that's actually her little brother. That's playing her little it's her brother big in brother. the film. Big brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want, I don't want to act- cast an actual brother and sister cast in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, is the fact that whoever heard or, Cameron, whoever figured it out, but the fact that this is a terraform planet, you don't have to deal with the clunky headgear. So the moment they get out, they're just walking freely. I mean, yeah, they, they got, got like face masks, protective masks. Stuff, but I, but yeah. I think that was like the smartest development for the sequel that you don't have to deal with this, you know, because well, that would right. obviously and not only do you not have to like deal this. with it, but again, it's thematically linked into it. These people are making these places, yeah, into commercial commercially viable enterprises. Well, no, I, I look at it as, you know, let's do this because it's going to be easier to shoot. Like when horror film producers now you, shut everything in the 80s. So I promise you when Cameron's writing, he doesn't phones. write anything to make things easier for him to shoot. <laughs> he writes only difficult things and then he finds a way to do them. So I understand right. what you're saying. That That's true. But there's it, the terraforming isn't so that we don't have to have spacesuits. I, I can just promise you that. It's... It's linked into the story that he's trying to tell. Well, it is because we know where things will go. I mean, what the processing. Not even is that. It's it's doing. what the future is. Pro- making these planets. Make, it's building big business. Better worlds. It, building better worlds. Right. It's big business. We lose quite a bit of that angle on this storyline when we lose this scene. It's still in there, but it we we. No, I mean, I I've never had a problem. I think the moment that the the team steps out of the the personnel carrier right you immediately just okay yeah because they've established it enough that it's like the air is breathable done go right right that's what they're there to do is that the air is breathable 
Right. Frankly, the yeah. air is almost breathable when they first land there in the first place. There's just way too much methane in the air for them to not be poisoned eventually. But right. LV-426 is, mm-hmm. as far as planets in the universe go, it's almost habitable to humans, which is a rare thing. Um, this just And of makes- course, there, there's so much methane, of course, because of alien farts. It must yeah. be. That's because of space jockey farts. Theory. Space One farts, yeah. big last space jockey farts caused yeah, like, the <laughs> yeah. That's actually what set off the processing plant. That is actually right. the entire uh, plot of Prometheus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get it. Yeah. This sequence is but cool. Think, you know, the kids. No, the kids have this little uh, debate. Okay. Then they kind of are taking a nap. They get bored and they wake up with. Mom outside on the radio, sending a distress call, and look down at at Dad, and he's got a thing on his face that's tightening around his neck, and the little girl starts to scream. We can talk about the little girl now. We've talked about Paul Reiser and uh, Sigourney Weaver. This is her only only role, right, ever. I mean, she... She was off... Well, she she was in a unique situation. She was... uh, she was the daughter of a military family from America living in England. Right. And Gail, the way she tells it, they saw every kid who wanted to act in the United Kingdom, basically, for these auditions. They saw hundreds of kids. If they could have cast a British kid, they would have. As it is, Carrie sort of born and learned to speak in America, but had lived in England long enough that she has this weird hybrid of the yeah, two accents, yeah. which is really, really fun to listen to, I think, anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, Gail said she was uh, she got on the short list because she was one of the only kids they saw after many, many kids in a row who, when she was done saying her lines, didn't smile because she hadn't done hundreds of commercial auditions and things ah, she wasn't yeah. pitching the idea of being a little girl she was just this she had this sort of weird morose delivery of these lines and just seemed to naturally be what they were looking for was this shell-shocked little girl and that's how she got the role and yeah they cast her brother because who better do a little scene he just came along to the audition he didn't sure he, he didn't intend to be in the movie but they they have a chemistry together in this quick scene that you don't always get from kids who are strangers. It's well, very mean, believable relationship that they have because it's, I think it's I the, one of the other reasons I don't care for this these sequences. It's I find it m- more interesting. Shut up, Joel. Um, that when we find her in in the theatrical cut, like there, it's so much more interesting. And I I guess there's a little bit of when they have the movement outside medical, you know, we can, I, I like the fact that we really don't know. Yeah. I mean, as it is now, if you're looking at the special edition, you could assume maybe it's one of them. So it, it ruins you'd have to be mystique. thinking fast to assume that, but you could assume they give you all the information you need Yeah. to, to know what, what it so is. I, just, yeah, I think so. that nix this and everything else in the special edition stays. Yeah, that's to me. That's, that's my ruling. To me, yeah. that's the perfect version of Aliens. I, I agree with you. I but like I say, I still like this sequence for what it is, and I can't yeah. unsee yeah, it. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. It looks good. It's well acted. It it's ties, well thought out. It's well constructed. It, it it foreshadows without pounding you on the head with stuff. It it does all that stuff you. It's intended to do. Yeah. Um, 
But I agree with you. It's I, I wouldn't cut anything from the special edition. And that means we get back the ash. The, not ash. Not that ash. The cigarette ash, right? Indeed. Right. Um, which not I think, that though, ash. that's reason. Not that ash. You I think silly that's, listeners. That's I think that's we a subtle about. reference, though. I think that, you know, seeing the cigarette sure. ash, I think that he's paying homage to It's some the primal horror. reaction by the, yeah. uh, the Well, and a, the dissolve to the cigarette smoke is, is a thing of beauty, I agree. But the hard cut... <laughs> is, yeah. The hard cut from the scream to silence and the just the peaceful cigarette smoke is also pretty effective. Yeah. It is. Um, so uh, we have uh, so Ripley is um, hanging out smoking. She's uh, has bad habits. She got a haircut. Time has passed, and um, and we get a knock at the door. And In a not uh, very nice apartment complex, by the way. Oh yeah, no, no, not her, bad you know, for she's, space. It's a nice uh, studio style. But I'm assuming we're on Earth at this point. She never right? goes back to Earth. She's still on oh, Gateway. No. What? So when you yeah, that's where all she I'm works. saying. When you consider she's still on Gateway, it's not that bad of an apartment. See, I have always assumed that she went back to that she was. This was an Earth sequence. You know what assuming does? It makes a big ass of you right here on our show. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I think like, that's like how that's the phrase never goes. happened before. <laughs> yep. No, I, it's, it, they, um, it's not like they come out and say it. You're not making a a crazy assumption, but I just know it is canon that Ripley doesn't make it back to Earth. She gets. She well, gets to a space station because, orbiting Earth, and she never really goes back. Well, because of resurrection, we know that that's a big thing. You're right. Okay, yeah. I never made that connection. And, um, um, so but, she's but, she's um, working. She took a job on the station, loading and unloading in their shipping and receiving department, and has never left. And all I'm saying is, given that she's on a space station, that apartment's pretty great. Okay. Because it's she got it to herself. There's no bunk beds. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's it it is though it feels prefabbed. It feels like a outhouse with the weird plastic doors and stuff. I mean, it really is. And there is there's some trash and debris out in the hallway. You know, yeah. we're we're she ain't living large. I guess is right. what is where we're going with it. Well, I mean, and, she's, uh, yeah, she doesn't have her commission anymore. She's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think it's psychologically and, interesting that she can't bring herself to go back to Earth. You would think somebody with her skill set, suspended or not, would have more opportunities there. Right. But Earth may be a place we don't recognize anymore either. It's hard to say. It, it, it's all a tease that, mm-hmm. you know, we only see right, these Right, but it's also bits. that Amanda, the memory of that could be keeping her like, I don't want to, what am I going to go back to? Absolutely. Right? In fact, right. that's what I always figured it was. There's nothing there for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm trapped and- well, not, and even not without just the literally, but figuratively trapped here in my issues. Yeah, and even without the Amanda knowing the Amanda plot line, um, it does. It, it feels it's like, oh yeah, this is a she is cast adrift. She has been, sure. you know, after everything that she's gone gone through, the corporation has smacked her down even further. Yeah. Um, she probably couldn't afford the trip from uh from the gateway back oh, that's, to Earth. that makes me really sad <laughs> um, maybe and so yeah. so anyway uh but, but oh. so then we get visited it's carter burke again how you doing i'm carter burke and this is uh marine uh lieutenant gorman gorman and, played by the delicious william hope anyway. and uh and she's like i want no part of you guys uh you get away and he's like we've lost contact uh, with LV426. You got to let me throw this in here. You guys throw me to the wolves and now you want me to go back out there? Yeah. Right. And um, 
And yeah, and that's and that's the deal is they're like, we've lost communication. Something's up. We are going out there to find out what's going on and to see it, you know, and, and if you're right, because again, I love that he says, if you're right, then no one knows about these things more than you do. Yeah. Right. And if we'd like you along a, as an advisor. As an advisor. And that's all. And nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, and I and we can like, guarantee I, your safety. I love that. So, like, and and it, there, you know, it's it's dis. I mean, obviously, we know the disingenuousness of it, but it's also it's like, oh, so you're just gonna send her along, and then if it's like if they get there and it's something you know, like, oh, something went wrong with the with the um with the atmospheric yeah, things or something, then it's like, oh, well, I guess you got a free trip, Ripley. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, no, it's Burke. It's like, Burke's holding all the cards, though. He's being really Burke polite, but he knows the this cards. Is, he knows this is it. You know, maybe yep. you get your license back. I mean, this is your this is your chance to take a step out of this. And I, he, think, I mean, and he does, he, he's like, and he's like, look, I've read all your evals. Uh, you're waking up. You know, I think the only way for you to get past, you know, to, to get past this is to confront it. Yeah. Is for you to go back. Which is, this is, which is, which is all the buttons. Which is this a strong is of theme the of the movie, by the way, even though yeah, that's not exactly demons. a, uh, but I think this is not Weaver's exactly best. a big feature of PTSD is that you fix it by just going back Doing, and facing yeah. the same stuff. I think this is one of Weaver's <laughs> best acting moments in the whole film is when he says, you know, get back on that horse. She spare me. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I'm not going, or um, I said no. And I mean it. No, I am not going back. And she stutters a little bit. And I wouldn't and be, I would not be uh, any good to you if I did. If I did. Yeah. Yep. It's so it's like this great little stutter stumble she does in the delivery she's where she cracks. She's completely so raw good. in this movie, and it's mm-hmm. it's a, just it. a wonder to behold. Yeah. And and William Hope's uh, thanks, thanks for, for the coffee. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and, good. Uh, so they they leave, and then we that's, cut to and then because it, that's that, the even Hope is so great in this because that's him trying to be polite, and yet he still just comes off like a total douche when he says it. He yeah. just can't help it. That because that's what he is. Mm-hmm. But it it it, you know, I I adore that. That's a great tag it's on the scene. And then she wakes and, uh, up again, sweating, panicking, waking up from obviously clutching her chest. Same dream. Yep. Uh, heads over to the heads over to the little the video phone, the video phone, the super yep, the futuristic video, video phone, phone thing, and calls. She's got Burke's little card, which is just yep. in the phone. And a, I used to think all these things were so futuristic and magical they're cool yeah yeah um and he he's it's in the middle of the night and he's like oh, ripley what time is it and she's like let me get something straight or you're going out there to kill these things right not to, to bring them back to not exterminate to them. them not not to bring them back not to bring back not to study and he's like that's the plan she's like all, all right, right i'm on board before he could even say anything he says i think dot 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 and she pulls the card out and cuts them off and I, I also he, I also love Paul Reiser does this thing when he's like he gets in the camera and he's like he's like Ripley and then he looks back like yes like, I was just gonna bring that up he's like looking whoever's in bed with him I yeah, love yeah. that detail it's yeah. so cool yeah it's That's a great neat. little it's a dumb little thing that I always thing, love again that makes always it live it. he's in mm-hmm. bed with someone you know yeah. and he even said and then he says are you okay it's yeah. it, it's yeah. really well done. Really super well done um, by all involved. Okay, so and then Jones uh, yeah. is told that he will stay. That's yeah. true. I forgot that. And you, and you I, little shithead, I, you're staying here. You're staying here. And I knew at this point that everything was going to be okay. 
because Jones is because Jones, be Jones isn't Jones. a part of the show anymore. Mm-hmm. He's not going to distract her from. Well, we get a, a different type of Jones. Oh, you know the old adage: never work with animals. Jones and doesn't get old. Jones. Jones doesn't seem impressed by that at all. He does not no, see Jones charity is, in that statement. Yeah, he doesn't see the charity because he's you know he's, he's uh, like whatever. Uh, He's like a hundred some year old cat at this point. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he's just going to chill. He just wants to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, have you seen the mice now? I, want I wonder if it's scripted it. that way. Jones's eyes slightly narrow. Cut. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. Uh, so we cut to then um, we get to uh, uh, we, we cut to the Sulaco, which is the um, the Marine transport vessel. Uh, and we go through the old sequence, kind of like we did with Alien, uh, yeah. where long the tracking computer... shot throughout the halls of Sulaco. In the special edition, yep. we get that extra. Yeah, yeah. It's and, you and still get they... something of it in the a regular movie, but but little you bit get a very and, long. Uh, let's look at all the bits and pieces of the Sulaco, which is mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Well, I, I actually like in the special edition, watching it recently, that because when they get out. And they just start doing things. You don't see. I love that you get the full layout yep. of the mess hall, the locker room, yep, the, where everything is. I agree. Kinda, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was yeah. really fun. Yep. Um, and uh, but yeah, they so they they get woken up uh, and and a great um, old these banks of the same thing, the same kind of type, a little different looking, but the same type of freezer chambers that the people yeah. go to sleep in, mm-hmm. and they they just have the old the end of the wall is a mirror sort of gag. And it just, it makes it look twice as big, obviously as it is. It's yeah. very, very cool. You and can kind of see it. the repeated footage. If you look closely for it, it's there, but my, um, and an then old you trick get, that I like. One of the things that I love is that, uh, you get, you know, one of you, one of the little clues that no, but this is, but this time is different is because it comes up and a guy and they're waking up and all of a sudden, Cigar in the mouth. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. This is is, a bone goes right to the cigar. And all of a sudden it is, yeah, these are military people. It is uh and this is something that they just do. They get sent out and they've been um, they've been asleep and woken up up a million times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I got no, I gotta have my cigar right with me. Yeah, then he has it just sitting there in there with him so that he can not be without it. It's a great establishment that there's a a rapport and that there's a, a familiarity what's, between all these. What's people the name of the so character quickly. that plays Apone? Uh, the guy, actor Al yeah. Matthews. Al, Al Matthews, Matthews was yeah. a real, was an actual. He's right. one of the guys who actually has. He was a consultant, experience. right, on this in some level, right? Yep. He brought the main, the main uh, military cast through a sort of training exercise, uh, along right. with the in cooperation with the British military because they did it in England. Um, but he's. He gets, man, he gets the drill sergeant. He's got it down because he's a pretty warm and fuzzy guy that they all clearly love. And yet he's full of tough talk and getting them to hustle yeah. and motivating them. Um, you know, Cameron called them colonial Marines, but he said the Marines he's met since have proven to him that it's they're, these guys really are a Vietnam era general infantry unit. They're mm-hmm. not like what Marines were then or even now they're, they're very much this sort of drafted group of people or in this case, more likely in it for the money sort of uh, privatized military unit that gets sent basically by the company to go out and investigate these sort of things. Um, The film proves later that they have, they do have some independence on their own to make some decisions aside from the company, but 
but military and commerce are really, really linked, and these guys sort of prove that. They're they're a really cynical group of wisecracking people, uh, yeah. you know, and not all business, although they're shown ultimately to be, under terrible circumstances, they're shown to be effective soldiers to the degree that they could be in terrible, terrible circumstances. They They... They just aren't well. They just aren't prepared for what they're what they come they're up against. They're prepared for this. what they think they're supposed to be doing. They're prepared for which, what which, they, based on their cockiness, they're they're not expecting anything. So they're going yeah. in totally blind, right? And I mean, how and many of them actually looked at the report? Come on, a couple of them. Um, there's a great scene where they're sitting around, eat, you know, getting having their first meal after waking up, and and yeah, they're making jokes about getting laid and, and about. All, yeah, all these stupid colonists and stuff. And yeah, let's talk about the crew. That's it. We just talk about these Marines. colonists. We got time to do that, so we'll go through them in order. Mal Matthews as Apone is fantastic. He really, yep. he really is kind of the perfect. Like I say, he's the perfect guy because he really is the cliche of a of a drill sergeant. But what you get from the film is that he's a guy playing the cliche of the drill sergeant it's a performance within a performance he's actually a pretty mild-mannered dude he has these moments of levity and normalcy and when it's time for him to turn on the act of barking at everybody and all this yeah he does it and, and he's got all his catchphrases and st- i mean he's yeah it, oh yeah he's beautiful drills beautiful uh essentially yeah sergeant drill sergeant yeah it's uh, really it's a yeah, fun commander. character that's not just what we're used to it's that but there's more to him than that, and I really dig that about it. It's the same there's with some juicy same with Gorman. Time. Gorman's the stick up his butt lieutenant who's in charge of this. So we've met him already, yeah. and he's he again. And he's we know what why he his stick up his, and we know why he has a stick up his butt because he's incredibly inexperienced. Right. Yeah. You know he, he's, he's he's he's. But I mean, we he's. It's also a performance within a performance where he's really acting the guy who's competent and in charge and. It has a full is fully versed on all the protocols you do in this situation. He knows everything, right. but he just isn't doesn't have combat experience. But we get the the wonderful insight of them pointing out that he's sitting at the 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 uh, table with the civilians, you know, yeah. which is an automatic. Yeah, oh, that's not well, good. Let's go to the next the corporals. Then we got Corporal uh, Hicks, who's this? Yep. Corporal Hicks and uh, Corporal, Corporal Hicks. There are three oh, corporals, Corporal Hicks, Corporal Farrow, and I can't remember the other corporal name, the medical. Dietrich? Dietrich, thank Dietrich. you. Dietrich. Corporals Dietrich and Farrow. Yeah, so Farrow's the pilot of the dropship. She's a sort of different member of the Marines. We won't get too much into her, but she's fun. Uh, corporal Dietrich's great just because she's a typical sort of female soldier that I really like, you know, which was a different sort of thing in 86 to be seen on screen. Not crazy groundbreaking thing but still different this is a super co-ed you know combat unit it's almost not quite but it's almost half and half women and men um yeah corporal hicks pretty stuff spoken he he's uh what's he say eat your cornbread boy it's good for you yeah he has that almost that exact line in lords of discipline which I always thought was oh, weird. Michael Bean. Yeah, Michael Bean and Bill Paxton are in this together. This is the third of their five movies together. Lords of Discipline, The Terminator, Aliens, Navy Seals, and Tombstone. It's worth mentioning because when, when you, we see them, and we'll talk about this a little later, we see Bill and Michael interact. They are they interact like old college pals. They interact like right. we do because they've been just 
they've been to battle in all these different yeah, movies yeah. together over and over and over again through the years, starting from when they were very, very young men. Um, Hicks, man, you look just like I feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Hicks is cool. We'll get more into him. He's a he's a character that the movie slow burns very appropriately. Uh, his buddy, his dining pal, is uh, Private First Class Frost, played by Rico Ross, another another American who lives who primarily in England. Gets top billing in the opening credits. I know that was probably he how gets, it was set. He gets last of the total billing, but yeah, he must have a pretty good agent. Although when saying, you watch yeah. the movie, he's set up. He's set apart. Him and and Mark Ralston's Drake, I think, are set apart. They're given a lot of screen time, a lot of lines, a lot of stuff that the other guys kind of aren't given. Right. He's set up like he could be a survivor. That just by saying that, I've told you that he isn't. But Stay frosty. We assume you've seen this mm-hmm. movie, or you would not be listening to us ruin the whole thing for you. Right. Um. Yeah, Frost, I like Frost. I mean, I like that easygoing atmosphere that they have. And then, Rico Ross has the best abs of all of them. Let's just point that out. He looks like he I could be a soldier. stole the Jerry. words right out of my mouth. Yep. These are the things that are important to me. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah, so, um, and yeah, then so Private Hudson, he's the he's what Ripley was, really, which is weird, but he's the technical... He's the private with all the technical experience. He gets all the computers and stuff. Yeah. We see him doing his job, but we're never really told that's what he is. But yeah. that is what he is. Um, Hudson is a, a hoot, man. Everything that comes out of Hudson's yeah. mouth is cinema gold. It is. <laughs> and yeah. it's, he gets, he, he's the goofball. He's the big, yeah. He's Paxton the, appeared in, in Weird Science the summer before. And, of course, that was that's a, obviously that's an iconic role for people of this generation. But to me, his coming out party as an actor is, is Hudson. It, Hudson is an off-the-hook entertaining guy. And Cameron just lets him go off the rails it, and, and enjoys it, you know. The great uh, thing about the Hudson character, though, is that he actually does have an arc. You know, I think that's he's a he's a tertiary character almost, you know, and so yep. but he still has there's a journey for this guy and it's it's fascinating. I they think all that's have what makes a, they it all so have great. an arc. All of them yeah. truly. E- even to the degree even they can, Drake and Frost have an arc. <laughs> truly. Yep. Their time on screen goes through these things and that then as a payoff to it. It's it's very very powerful. Uh Drake and Vasquez, the point combatants yeah, Drake's yep. played by Mark Ralston, who's this kind of Shakespearean Fantastic theater actor, actor who yeah. has a has a movie career where he just plays badass. His resume is stuff. nine years long. Yeah, 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 he's Mark Ralston's fantastic. He yeah. he also, if you ever get to listen to him, he he's one of those actors who who has a very profitable side gig reading um, audio books, and he's ex- oh. he's extraordinary. He's extraordinary. Uh, breadth of talent given what we see from his on-screen persona which tends to be very narrow and specific um which is fun it's fun to hear it's fun to hear this theater guy who can just do funny voices and pretend to be women and it's it's neat it's a neat experience well i love because drake is drake is the ultimate butch psycho soldier in this but he's not he's not one-dimensional i mean the fact that you get that intro to him and vasquez their obvious relationship I love that. It's never spelled out. They don't say it. They don't hug and kiss. No. It's just, it's it's a really lovely there's, little detail. There's a, a hint of it enough in the script and the two yeah. actors just 
Oh yeah, there's yeah. Just great embraced chemistry. it, and every chance they can get on screen, that yeah. camaraderie between the two of them, the mutual respect. You know, yeah. it's it's it is a powerful relationship. Um, they they're 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 the they're the point people for each separate unit yep. because they walk around with these giant rifles on Steadicam yeah. mounts, and. Yeah. They're basically the ones out front. And it's super, I mean, it's super cool that Drake is the kind of guy we would expect to be that in this movie. And that Vasquez, Vasquez is completely not the kind of person we would expect to be. Um, Vasquez is played by the person who really should have had Rico Ross's billing. Yeah, <laughs> right? Jeanette Goldstein. Jeanette Goldstein. It's rather crazy that her character is not, her name is not featured in the opening credits and his is. Um, I, th I think the thing is like, I Aside from Ripley and everybody, everybody else in this film, aside from Ripley, I think Vasquez is the most iconic, wouldn't you say? I mean, even beyond she, Hudson. She's incredibly impactful. She's incredibly impactful. The yeah. moments she has on screen, she absolutely, your eyes go to her. Uh, hey, Mieta, who's it, Snow White? <laughs> well, yeah. Hudson, Hudson has that super famous smart-ass line that we've already said in the show. The, the yeah, because she's, she's this Hispanic character, and he says, yeah, she's... Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. Signed up. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're like, Vasquez, you ever get mistaken for a man? And she's like, no, no. do you? Have you? That's <laughs> so mm -hmm. great. Um, yeah, and she she gets all these great, yeah. She well, if you know she's... Jeanette Goldstein, like in real life, I don't, it's, it really is a theatrical performance. It really oh, is. Oh, for a, sure. You know, it's cut all your hair, just transform yourself into something Yeah, different. she's a buxom, big haired, curly haired, Half well, Jewish, half know, Irish. Less, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah. Let, I mean, just you can get a, a a sense of her abilities and her uh, her talent by just looking at the movies she's done with James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. The the, um, the, the foster mom in in Terminator, Terminator 2, Two and the Irish Two, Irish the Irish immigrant mom. in Titanic. Yeah, yeah. So it's like right there, you know. She and that's yeah. And you, it's it's really it's it's. I'm gonna say interesting. I hate that I keep saying it, but as much as I love this movie, and of course I would die to just meet Sigourney Weaver, but I think I would probably lose my mind if I met Jeanette Goldstein. <laughs> well, like, I think it would, it wouldn't, it, I wouldn't that's a possibility. You guys it. are neighbors. She could wander you know, around. She, but she's so, she's so interesting. I mean, yeah. I, mm -hmm. And well, it is, it, she is, really is. is the story she absolutely owns her moments. The story has been blown up at that there's somebody said illegal alien and she showed up is based on this sort of real life thing that happened yeah, to her. I've heard, it, yeah. She didn't, she didn't know what she was auditioning for. She came yep. to the aliens audition with makeup on and her hair tricked out in 1985 fashion, yep. you know, and this dress yep. and to <laughs> audition for either, Vasquez. either, either Vasquez or Dietrich, Dietrich or, you know, yeah. whatever roles that they had. Mm -hmm. And, and he, and it's a testament to everybody. A testament to first of all, Gail and James and whoever cast this, I can't remember, but just saying, you know, this is completely not right, but let's just this here's an actor who's taking her time. Let's give her the chance to do this. Mm -hmm. They yeah. give her this righteous chance to sort of figure out the role and then give them a proper audition, which she nailed. And and um and her showing up not knowing really the context of what she was auditioning for and being able to turn on a dime during an audition yeah. and really confidently do it. It it's it's it is all kind of, and it ends up with movie magic. The 
the uh, you know the very Caucasian person playing a Hispanic person against a side, which uh, back in '86 wouldn't have been really an issue at all. But yeah. we we can't we don't want to just walk by without at least mentioning that that sure. that that these days is not particularly cool. Um, yeah. uh, it's you know, and she's all she gets uh, she doesn't do it in blackface or anything like that, but she gets very tan and sort of transforms herself into yeah. what she thinks a strong Hispanic woman is in it. And had to maintain that, that sort of throughout the movie. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of girl power in this film, you know, oh, yeah. and it's, it's, I like the fact that it's not reserved just for Weaver, you Me know, too, there's very there's much, plenty, even, even as far as Carrie Hen, she gets, she's a, a resourceful child. Yes. The, the nude is, mm -hmm. you know, so yep. it's, it's not, no one's depending on the men. We didn't really say her know? name. What's Newt's full name. And everybody calls her Newt. Rebecca Jordan. Rebecca, Rebecca Jordan. Jordan. That's right. The Jordans. Mm -hmm. Um, no, you're right, Michael. You're absolutely right. Uh, it, well, there's girl power without acknowledging girl power. The 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 film the, makes nothing of it. The it film makes out. nothing of it in the sense, you know, because at this point in society, yeah, they, they are just they're soldiers. They're they have their roles. They do everything, and they're expected. In the there's end, a, the flat a, ass, most badass one of all of them is the is the woman is is Private Vasquez, without question. Yep. Yeah. Um, so real quick, we should mention the other privates. Uh, we have she out-tuffs them all. You get yep. the feeling she's gonna, but the film never wavers. She's a single-minded, battle-ready soldier, and she's even though she has her moments, she's best equipped to cope with this because she's yeah, as she tough only loses as her cool once, and that's when Gorman she gets on Gorman. That's it. Yep. Well, and that's um, that's because she just that's lost because her it's best reasonable. Friend. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It ain't her best friend. We know that. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Joel. Her lover. Her lover. No, um, we don't think that. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, they're totally hooking up. They're are are having weird, crazy, aggressive relations. <laughs> no, they're very soft when they're in the bedroom together. <laughs> yeah, good. I've um, always thought that Ryan Harris that, that they have a absolutely have a sexual relationship. I don't believe that. Oh, okay. I I disagree. Um, I don't believe 100%. that. That almost that almost ruins it for me. They don't have to have that, having sex. It's quite. It should be the opposite. They're no. truly equals, and they have the same job in the battalion, and they're they're. Yes. I think that's all true, but I do believe that there is a physical relationship there. I have always Maybe. thought that. Yep. I Maybe agree. there's always. no. That is not an evidence. I want that sure. stated for the record. I'm just saying that that is that's something that it uh, is not we, an we, evidence, we, Michael. You can't based, him no, and no, 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 no. Based on her Nothing. reaction to Drake. No. Yes. No. Absolutely. That, also, is, that is a cry does, of pain that is more than that's a That's not even circumstantial evidence. That is, was not hold up in no, court. No, I disagree. I 100% believe that they had a relationship beyond friendship. I get what 100%. you believe. I'm saying it is not in evidence. Look, okay, go back, Ryan Harris. Look there, at her hmm. reaction when Drake buys it. Here's the thing. I'm that not, is I'm not a even... friendship screech. uh -uh. <laughs> It, it, it is a, the biggest letting down of her guard we see in the movie. I agree with you there for sure. That yeah, they they were they hooked up. That's without question. Uh, talk about Spunkmeyer and uh, everybody else. Wierzbowski. Yep. Yeah, Spunkmeyer's the uh, co-pilot on the ship. Pharaoh, we talked about. She's great. The, when, when on the commentary on the Blu-ray and DVD, when you when P Bill Paxton talks about her 
he just starts giggling. He thought she was really, really funny and entertaining. He's like, oh, yeah, remember her? And he's quoting all her lines and stuff. <laughs> like, every time she's on screen, Pharaoh's only on screen for a couple seconds, but she, she's great. She does make an impression. Here's the nerdiness of my older brother and I loving this film so much. We would pause the old VHS copy of Pharaoh doing the three, two, one mark. Because mm-hmm. her, her mouth, because she was so really pronouncing each one, we would pause it because we thought it was so funny. Yep. It's awesome. So I, I love Pharaoh for that reason. Yeah, no, she's Spunk great. Meyer was always weird to me because even as a kid, when he goes, it's a nice pet you got there, Bishop. Yeah, yeah, Suddenly yeah. he has this really heavy accent yeah, yeah, yeah. and he doesn't have it anywhere else. It right. always made me laugh. He did know. the best he could. I know, but. They couldn't cast all Americans in the thing. The I British government, I I, the British Union. I knew that as was... I got older, that there was a lot of British actors. Yeah. I get it. Or, just, or, was... or as all of the. British and Canadian actors holding a British union card are in that film. <laughs> Essentially. That's what Rico Ross is. That's what William Hope yeah. is. That's what Carrie and Christopher Hen are like. They yeah. Gail really tried to give the Brits what they wanted, well, but they were never really satisfied. Okay. So Pharaoh Spunkmeyer Wierzbowski, is that it? Is that the, those are no, the there's kind of one really, other really... guy. What's his name? Sorry, uh, I was looking up something else. I was trying to find Spunkmeyer, Spunkmeyer, Pharaoh. Uh, Spunkmeyer, Crow. Tip, Crow. Tipping Crow. as Crow. I can't even place a face for Crow. Isn't that weird? Crow's the one who, man. at the end of the every all hell breaking loose, whose body like flips over and his head upside down. Is this the one? He's the one that kind of looks at the the magazine carrying thing. No, Is that's that the one. That's Wierzbowski, right? I don't know that. I don't know. Okay, maybe. I mean. That could be Crow. I guess, I guess you can't give everybody as much as you give every all the you know no. Hudson and a couple of these I mean, people are. I guess are maybe fodder. a little something, and I guess the fact that they're in helmets, so they all look similar. You could have dropped trick, where's you know? Bowski and Crow all together. Probably they don't have any significant screen time otherwise. Agreed, but, except that you. I love the fact that there's so many casualties so quickly. Yeah, you know, you right. need that. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. Um, and it, it helps. It helps fill out the, you know, the scene, the briefing scene and all that. Yeah. Anyway, these these characters are fantastic. They must have been fantastic on the page, and they're fully realized and fantastic. Um, this group of Marines, it just, it's, they were brought through training together, even the ones at the smallest parts. Michael Bean wasn't part of that. We'll get to that Bean in a second. Yeah, um, but, but uh, all the rest of them were, they built up this thing together. Um, James Cameron, when they were doing their fittings, brought in this box of junk and dumped it out on the table and said, it goes, you know, decorate your uniforms with this stuff. Right. You know, uh, Pharaoh's helmet says, fly the friendly skies. <laughs> I love that. They all have different sayings and things written on stuff. That was all... That was all the actors making these parts their own, which I really this think is This tiny little Vasquez I have, it yeah. says on her armor, L... Riesco sempre viva. Uh, only the strong survive. Roughly translated. Um, or, yeah, like something destiny to the strong or something. But it's basically yeah. the, the Latin version of only the strong survive. Um, which it turns out even the strong don't survive. I guess before we get to Lance, well, I'll talk a little bit about Michael Bean. He was obviously the kind of the hero in Terminator. He wasn't cast in this originally for the usual reasons. They they didn't want to just work with only the same actors over and over and over again. Uh, I guess Henriksen in this case accepted. Hicks was 
and his body armor and everything it was designed to went through a formal training was the actor James Ramar who right. a couple days into shooting turned out wasn't going to work out um right. Gail and James have been very diplomatic about that over the years they're like well it's just creative differences well Hill Hill brought him in right because he worked with him on the Warriors right, right. Exactly. Worked with, yeah worked with him on the yeah. Warriors and a number of other things um if you talk to Ramar he'll tell you he just was he wasn't he wasn't up to it. He was had he had substance abuse issues and all kinds of issues, and and he got really insecure and started lashing out at people, and that just wasn't oh, going to wow. work for the whole movie. So it's it's that's me paraphrasing his words. I don't mean to do that, but Ramar has come in the, years later has come through and said, I you know I earned my exit from that movie. I really regret it. I just that was the state I was in at the time. Sure. Um, I let, you know, I let Walter down. I didn't get to be a part of what turned out to be a really good movie, which really was just the thing I needed at the time. And it just, but I needed time to, those... to clean myself up before I got back into this sort of work. I'm not super familiar with James Remar's catalog, but I, it seems to me, I mean, Hicks, I don't, the, the soft spokenness that Bean brings to the role, I think is so important you it, don't agree? No, I totally agree. I'm shaking my head as in that. That to me, but that's what so, that's what Michael Bean is as an actor. He has this quiet intensity and integrity to him, and Hicks has this soulfulness that yeah. he's giving. He's sharing with you to some degree the entire film, but which really becomes important later. Ramar is a really good actor. He's actually very appropriately cast as the thoughtful soldier, but would have wore that on his sleeve in a way where Bean keeps it to himself the same way the character yeah. sort of keeps it to himself. And it's, it, 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 the film benefits from that swap. You know, they called Michael up in the middle of the night and said, Hey, is your passport in order? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah. And they're like, all right, you're coming to England. <laughs> Get yeah. on a plane right what now. A wonder, what Quickest a one over here. We'll have someone meet you at the airport. I mean, Hicks is so important to the film. And I think being so powerful in the role, I think it's just so, I guess, you know, meant to be kind of thing. Yeah. There's so there's a moment to me, the entirety of of uh Bean's performance as Hicks is summed up in the moment where um I know what you're saying. Where where she says where she says, Well, I believe uh I believe Corporal Hicks is in charge right now. And like, oh the Corporal Hicks, blah yeah. blah blah. And then he just like Isn't that right, yeah. Corporal? Yeah, and he's like Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's so. Like, it's that, it's I that knew that you were so, gonna say that, Joel. Yeah. That's the exact. Because to I me, had. to me, that's his entire character. That is yeah. the entirety, uh, and it's this wonderful moment. It's it's you know, and it's like. But yeah, the the I moment that comes right. two yeah. seconds later, the uh, the repeating the Ripley line yeah. is yeah. so inspired. Yeah. I know we're not there yet, but well, man. he says it. Then he says the bit with the wink, and then he and then he immediately he goes blank and goes, "Let's do it," and it's like. Yeah, Done. Like, There's no anymore. argument after yeah. this. This that's a guy saying, "All right, I am in charge. This this is me being in charge." It's really and yeah, because you know what? Because Hicks falls asleep on the drop to the planet. That's a great. He's detail. not in charge. He's not in charge. He's relaxed. He is. He is. <laughs> uh, he knows who he is. He he's knows conserving what his, job his em is. energy so economy good. of energy. Yeah. 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 Really. And Hicks let me just charge, say Hicks in from, charge would never fall asleep because no. he would have he would be in you know he No, yeah. he 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 trusted that Gorman was handling things. Well, right? there's Gorman. Yeah, I know he knows that like Gorman's on it. But like um the thing I want to say too, Michael Bean is one of the hottest actors ever to grace the screen. Yeah. 
He is so delicious. Yeah, and yeah. on top of him being a great actor, he's really good to look yeah, at. Yeah. So yeah, that's all and, awesome. and the, the attempts to cast his Terminator character in subsequent movies have fallen completely flat because nobody, because of what, not because Anton Yelchin's not a good actor. I'm not sure Jay Courtney's a good actor, but he's good enough. It, it, it's that nobody gets what it is that he does, and it's what you guys are talking about. It's that that internal yeah. that way that internalized guy hints itself to you without just blurting itself out to you at every you know bean knows he's a he's a he's this he knows he's this co-star with a big female star and he has you know he just has the exact right ego to be that in a film and it and, it all all comes through in the performance and, and talking about the understatedness their chemistry is yeah. so palpable well and it makes it so i talked about I, that comic con reunion where they're all sitting yeah, at the table yeah. together and and michael just it's he's like he's like he's in the movie he just kind of sits there he doesn't say much they have to sort of coax his involvement out of him during this panel and he's yeah. out there he'll do interviews and stuff he likes talking about stuff but but you know, there's this huge table mm -hmm. full of personalities all telling these stories. Sure. And he was like, "Well, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I just I showed up. I took the other guy's billing. I took his costume. I just had to j jump into this thing." And he goes, "In a way, that was." He goes, "It was a, kind of along with the character. I sort of get it." And it's, it. Bill Paxton teases him throughout, and he teases him throughout the commentary too because he's just trying to get him to get involved. Yeah. And he's always like, "Man, whenever." He, Hicks does something cool. He's like, man, oh, I just wanted to be Michael Bean. That's what I wanted to be. I just want to be Michael Bean, man. He's yeah. so cool. Look at yeah, how cool he is. Right. This is with him sitting right next to him. Yep. It's Sigourney during that panel where it's like, I don't think you appreciate your importance to that group of people. I, I just don't think you understand the soul that you brought to that guy and that you were this singular person who, like you guys say, was meant to do that. Yeah. And they're all nodding and going, yeah. I mean... You know, mm -hmm. when it came I mean, time that, for you to be his, our leader, you were our leader, truly. That's the yeah. his iconic role. He's had a lot of good roles. Even beyond Terminator, I think Hicks is his signature role. I don't know what else there would be, right? Well, well Johnny Reese. Kyle Reese is, Johnny a pretty, Ringo is a pretty big role. Yeah, Reese is a big role. Johnny Ringo's... I don't, I don't think anything uh, tops yeah. Hicks. It, but but I, mean, I, I kind of agree of with you. Hicks, Hicks is the kind of perfect part for him. Because there's not yeah. that much there, and what he brings to it is a lot of what he is as a person, mm -hmm. and I, so I really think that's, <laughs> I think that's very the, kind of the closest we get to Michael Bean as himself in a film, in a way. Yeah, and the yeah. I, I hear I, so I, I kind of agree between, with you. I, you know, I the think heat there between, are competing roles, though. Yeah, the heat between Ripley and Hicks, it, it's it's so palpable. It borders on the uh, heat between Vasquez and Drake. So um, the, <laughs> they also yeah. don't sleep with each other. <laughs> um, they might have had things in part three gone. You'd like to believe they would have, in fact. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, I like to believe so that. we get. Oh, uh, and then we get so we get through everybody. Uh, the last uh, last certainly, certainly not least, not least no. is is uh, Lance Hendrickson <laughs> as half man. Half man uh, as half man. Uh, no, as Bishop, the uh, the synthetic. And how do we find out that I, he's synthetic? I prefer the term synthetic person myself. Yeah, yeah. He does this. You know, he does this weird knife uh, thing. That in goes camera. super fast. In camera. Yeah, and um, 
they it is sped it know, up. clearly sped up a little bit. Uh, yeah. When they speed um, it up, they speed it up. But he did it in camera. He'd been practicing it for ages. Mm-hmm. But he did. He did. I just read something or saw something that he actually did give uh, Bill Paxton a blood blister. Yep. Yeah. Cool. That's a, that man, that track. There was, so there he was does a this hit. really, yeah, the cool, nice thing. And then, and then, then we, and then, but only like, two takes mm. and he did it both times pretty much. And, uh, and, and so we, and you know, we, so it's, he's the, um, artificial human. He's the synthetic it's a person. Clever demonstration uh, of him doing something, even though a person sort of did it, if him doing something impossible to see that something's different about him. Yeah. Yep. Um, and do the thing with the, the knife. That's Drake, right? That puts him up to yep. it. Yeah. Hey, Bishop. Come on, do the man. Thing with what the are you knife. doing, man? What are you doing, man? They're okay. The same, same funny, man. Um, and Not me, uh, man. Yeah. And he nicks himself, and so we see that white milky. Yep. That, that white ash. milky liquid. Yep. And then um and and yeah and, uh, and Sigourney's oh. pushing herself back from the table that oh, that reaction. freaks out and and Car- and again Carter Burke going oh my god I didn't even think oh he's yeah. so terrible. Yeah, and I didn't even think. Um, and I love how he puts it. He's like, um, she had an issue with the. There was uh, a malfunction. The, there was a malfunction. Her last trip out and and the, uh, there were some deaths involved. There, there was there some, some deaths involved. <laughs> the best is is Hendrickson oh, saying, I'm shocked. Like, yeah, Hendrickson saying, was it uh, I prefer model? the term synthetic person myself. And, and, and Burke does the gotcha, yeah. you know. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You never um, said anything about an Android being on board. Why not? It, it's just common practice. It's, we always have a synthetic on board. I prefer the term artificial, artificial person. person. Yeah. And he's yeah, and he, and he's great. And he is, um, he's absolutely uh, artificial human like. Um, he's uh, you know he's. Calm. We talked about he's it last week. Yeah. Michael asked the question. I wonder if Lance studied you know Ian Holm. But yeah, I can tell you, he absolutely studied everything Ian Holm did. He wanted the guy. He wanted the guy to be, to feel, he wanted the guy to be true to what the guy is in the script. We will get into right. what that is. This is, I know you guys have seen this, but I just don't, I don't like to reveal big things until we get to them. That's sort of the point of this. But he wanted to be consistent with that. He also understood that he was something of a red herring and wanted to be sort of as, as otherworldly and as threatening mm-hmm. and yeah, as, yeah. to feel as duplicitous as he can within be, staying true to what he was. And that's the trick of that performance. And it yeah. really, really is to make the choices that are consistent with who he was, but to understand from a larger storytelling standpoint that it, the things that are supposed to creep you out and make you weary of him do to the maximum they can. That's where the payoff is. And he does that great. He had, he had these special contact lenses with two pupils in them made for the film where when he was studying the alien, he was going to turn around to, uh, Spunkmeyer. Uh, Spunkmeyer and, 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 and have, you know, two, four pupils, you know, and Cameron said, you know, he's, he's all like in his brain. He's like, I don't know, but whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, here's an actor having ideas. I want to encourage that. So he said, sure. But it was, <laughs> it was way too weird <laughs> when he did it. It was like, it just made you go, ah, and sort of it's, made the meaning of the scene go away. Sorry. Lance Henriksen, I've always found a, to be a very attractive guy, but he's so unique looking. I think yeah. that casting, I mean, obviously they work together on Terminator, but the, the and casting Piranha of him, the spawning. Oh, he's in that. I didn't know that. Let, um, but you know, he's such a, it's such a unique <laughs> look. It's so perfectly tailored to Bishop. It's like you never question that he's an android. I mean, that's obviously performance, the power of his performance, but the way he looks, it just like, 
of course he's an android, you know, it just, yeah. I, I think that uh, this is his signature role. I mean, maybe Millennium well, could yeah. be a second, close second, but I think Lance Henriksen is such a, he had Oscar buzz this last year for a film he did with Viggo Mortensen. And I was so hoping that he would get that because sure, I think he's be so under-celebrated, you know? Yep. Although I think in, in nerddom, I think he's worshipped. And you yeah. can do worse than that. I, you know what I yeah. mean? I think in the larger world, in the, like you say, the Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon, Oscar party world, sure, he's not that celebrated. Yeah. But I really do think on on our level of film discourse, he's a hero of the revolution in a true well, sense. And, and we're all in awe of him in a way. I met him briefly. I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but it was, I mean, I, I'm sure I just shrunk away after I said hello. Like I couldn't. You know, what am I going to say? It's Bishop, you know. <laughs> hey, he just he's said, a, yeah, he's a pretty gracious said, what guy. What up, half man? <laughs> What's up, half man? What's he's up, a pretty man? gracious guy. He's fun. He's one yep. of the guys who's really fun to listen to talk about the behind the scenes stuff. Because he was a third movie with Cameron and, and second movie with Cameron and Gail. And he was a real, like a real, uh, you know, stand behind them. And yeah, kind of back them up big time oh, okay. to everybody else on the set plus to wh wherever there was gruff him and the first assistant director director almost got into fisticuffs he said oh. the director kept calling him the artiste and lance thought he was <laughs> lance thought he was <laughs> yeah he thought he was yeah. making him he thought he was making a, a thing about whatever and and he's like oh man this guy you know and, and of course, he finds out later that that's what they call everyone over there when they're on their calls. It's <laughs> yeah. they call them all artistes, right? And he goes, "It just goes to show you that you can speak the same language." But <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> um, but he's right, so, he's fantastic in this. Bishop is yep. he's he's that's awesome. another he's iconic yeah. role. I think that maybe that Vasquez and Ripley are the three iconic roles, with Hudson um, pulling a number fourth place. Yeah. Yeah, Hudson and, uh, in a soundbite way is certainly iconic yeah. without question, and and Hicks, of course, isn't meant to be iconic, but we you just no. heard the depth of our love for him. Yeah. Um. So you know, and they mostly come at night. You know, they're they're all icons unto themselves in a way. Well, it's, I really uh, believe the, that each character, even Burke. On this late, most recent trip I took to San Francisco, a buddy of mine told me about the Super Seven store, which are there. That's the company that does all the movie licensed figures but mm -hmm. they make them look like kenner star yep. wars toys that's sure. the packaging and i guess it makes sense because on the the set that i got i got all of them mm -hmm. it's ripley vasquez newt bishop hicks the xenomorph and hudson i think those <laughs> are the order. actual seven figures nice. so i mean right there that explains well yeah they're not going to make a where's bowski sadly but, no, but they didn't even make a garmin or an apone Yep. Oh, yeah, we yeah, Gorman. It's kind of too bad. Um, Gorman with Gorman, Gorman hangs with, in there a long time. I would should say as far as the narrative and, and goes. William anyway, nice Joel, you're so trying anyway. to get us to the briefing scene, I assume. Well, I'm trying to well, so yeah, so let's let's yeah, let's get it to the planet. Let's get to the planet and that's where we'll break for well, the Let's day. get to the um, launching off to the planet. The start yeah. of the actual mission proper will start. So we, yeah, so we get to yeah, so they they I do believe we, in my we, heart we, we, that that will move faster than this stuff has been moving. Um <laughs> we'll find out. I'm sorry, uh, one more thing, Joel, before you go on. It's like, I don't think, <laughs> no, I don't think we can be held responsible for our love. No. It's like, we can't, it, it, there's nothing we can do. 
No. I mean, this movie is so part of my DNA. It's like, like you said, we could talk about this for 50 hours. Right. And, 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 and the fact that we're keeping we it to around Sorry, four go, is go, pretty Go, 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 Joel, go. go. The oh, briefing okay, scene so is get, important, though, because they you, you get introduced to them all. Uh, they we, ask yeah, Ripley so to read her report, right? Yep, and and yeah, and the and the he turns it over to Ripley, and you know, and she, you know, again, it's not like it's not like Ripley is a seasoned vet or anything like that. She's she's the blue collar person that from the mining uh, mission. Yeah. So she's like, well, I can tell you what I know, and it was this has happened, and then by and then and then she's kind of rambling, and and you can sort of see that maybe she's even <clears throat> she's, she's even, getting emotional. Uh, She's getting emotional and Vasquez essentially bails it. You know, it's not meant to bail her out, but we Vasquez were, bails her out by just right. going, you know, I just need to know one thing. Where, where they, they are. are. You know, it's like, and, and, uh, you know, and just that vibrato, or vibrato, bravado. bravado. Oh, where <laughs> they <laughs> are. <laughs> it is vibrato. Uh, Vasquez is vibrato. That's all I'm going to think about for the rest of the day. Um, no, the bravado of Marie. She apparently has a very lovely singing voice in real life. I'm sure she does. I would not shock me. She can do everything else. She's got the bravado uh, and the vibrato. And the vibrato. Just um, And so, yeah. And, and, and Gorman again then has that great more. He's like, so anyway. yeah, well, the, uh, so anyway, it's the all on uh, tape. report is it's all on, you reports in there. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, and you can just tell none of them are going to do it. Um, but then, well, but then Ripley she re-interjects herself says, into it. And she, it it's mm-hmm. just one of those things managed to wipe out of my entire crew in less than 24 hours. And if the colonists have found that ship, then there's no telling how many they're exposed. Do you understand? I yeah. Well, and it starts, again, it starts with them. It, it, she's sort of bowed out of the conversation. It starts with them where they're like yeah. stupid colonists, all this, you know, they just like, they're not taking this seriously and that's when she re-injects herself and insists that they do yep. and it is not at a it's not a accident that the the editing cuts to hicks's reaction to that little speech mm-hmm. rather than some of the other people who are still goofing yeah. around he well, th- he this is a great takes that to, to heart what she them. says yeah this is a great well, yeah and we learn we get the understand their their dynamic we get to know some of them specifically um my very favorite moment in this whole sequence is when Apone calls everyone to action. Okay, do your jobs, and you yeah. just get this tiny little thing from Pharaoh. Oh, come on! Yeah. When it, well, it's when that's actually she gets the come on when William Hope says. William Hope says, "All right, listen up. up. I, want I want this, this, and this much time. I want yeah. that, that, and this much time." And By that's where she does the oh, yeah. come on. And then Hudson goes, "Uh." Can I ask? I have a question. How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? Well, but then yeah. you get, but you get the, and you he's like, "What is that it?" Shit, Hudson. He's like, "Well, he's he's like, can I ask a question? What is it, Hicks? I'm Hudson's. He's Hicks. Hicks. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, Gorman doesn't know, even again, know who you, these people are. You don't even. Yeah. And again, it sets that, it all. That's a nice thing. You know, we talk about every damn time. I talk about the succinctness of bits of lines oh yeah that is gorman in a nutshell yes right there that's it yeah and then because then he goes he goes what's the question private private oh yeah yeah <laughs> right. and um yeah and then it's and then it's the uh, so then yeah, he doesn't correct it by learning their names he corrects it by just calling them by their ranks yeah. from now on mm-hmm. it, yep. it that is really really just a tiny little bit at the it's, end of all this yep. stuff in this one tiny little scene and it's all magic uh, it's there. It's necessary because it, you need to know those relationships for when yep. things re- get amped up later on. Yeah. Um, 
I, I want to. It's doing a lot of fact. heavy lifting. Yeah, and I oh, speaking stop. of heavy that lifting, that was so. Oh, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize that. that. But you did it I anyway. Mean, I totally. I you totally, are the uh, you are the god it. of the segue, even right, when you're not aware of it. So they they are indeed they're starting to set. You know, they're getting everything going. They're getting the drop ship ready. They're getting all their supplies together. Uh, it's the first time we see the big movers with the claw things yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. And um, Spunkmire and then, seems to kind of suck at it. Let's be frank. Yeah. Well, you know, anyway, um, he he has his his he's slightly below average. Swear. Let's not go overboard. Um, and he, he uh, uh, but yeah, Slow. Ripley comes over and she's like, I sort of feel like a fifth wheel around here. You know, is there anything that I can be doing? And I, I, I love that. I love this exchange. It's the is there anything that I can be doing? And Apone goes, I don't know. Is there anything you can do? Is there anything you? Well, uh, yeah, if there's anything loader. I can do, yeah, I can, I can run that loader, blah blah blah. So, and and we get the, yeah, we get the great, you know, she straps in and she's about, uh, and then and she even kind of strikes a pose. Oh, with the she thing. totally does. Where right. do you want it? Where do you want it? And then you hear Carly Simon's "Let the River Run." Uh, <laughs> no, wrong up, yeah, movie. No. Wrong movie. Uh, oh yeah, right. Um, uh, then uh, yeah, so twelve, she... please. So I need to tell you this. I was at Home Depot <laughs> several months ago, and all their things are separated by bays. Yep. yep. And I saw the Bay Twelve, and I'm like, if this isn't the most nerdy recognition for me, I don't know what pot. And I even had to take a picture of him, like Bay Twelve, please. I'm like, who on earth? Well, and it's she's she's being very demonstrative about how skilled she is with this. And Apone and Hicks, I get it. They both think it's funny and they're impressed genuinely. But they also think it's funny and they're laughing about it. And that's that's a light moment in a very very dark. They're not laughing at her. They're laughing at right. All right, we hey hey awesome a twelve. She's helping out. Cool, great. And that please is um, meant to be like. You're in charge, oh, yeah, you know, you yeah. move your stuff. Right, 12, please, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a um, weird, and, uh, but probably an appropriate place to end it, because I think we're yeah, we're climbing so on board to, the dropship in the next scene, right? Yep, yeah, we, uh, we're introduced, yeah, so next time we, you know, we're introduced to the supercar, the uh, the marine sort of multi-purpose SUV. Uh, the car that drives inside the dropship inside yeah. the Sulaco, it's like a little... Yep. Russian toy of Russian horror. <laughs> nesting dolls and nesting doll of stuff. <laughs> yeah. The APC. Yeah. The armored personnel carrier. Yeah. Uh, we get, so you know, we get all these, the, uh, and then we, you know, then it becomes full on military operation. They go through the whole psych up. We are badasses. Here we go. And, and then it's like, oh, move them out, move them out, yeah. move them out, move them out. And they line up and they're like, yeah, and they're doing all this stuff. Absolutely and that's, badasses. Yeah. And that <laughs> is where the mission really gets going. Well, I do want to say something before we cut that I, I don't know if you guys felt this too, or the time, many millions of times you've seen this, but the way the anticipation is starting to ratchet by now, I mean, even scenes and scenes prior, I, every time I watch this, I'm starting to get nervous at this point. I know what's going to happen, but the, I mean, you can, I can feel myself tensing. Like I know that this is going to be bad. Well, it's a, it, it, I love that about it. It's noisier and busier than, than Ridley's film, but it takes its cues from Ridley's film. It, it knows that if you deliver the gut wrenching horror at some point, Everybody won't mind that you took all this time to set up all these dominoes. It won't mind watching that at all. And we don't. We 
we revel in every moment in the setup of this film. It, that's part of the absolute joy of Alien, and it's definitely part of the joy of Aliens, which, as you say, is more more of a character-dominated film than a than a mood piece like Alien is. Yeah, but both it. Well, I think it, one of the reasons it's it a, works it's so a thing well, that works. You take your time. As long but, as you get there. Oh my, but I think it's because we love Ripley so much and we are 100% invested with her at this point. So I think we're getting that sense from her because we can see her unease. We know she's not well right now. And I think yeah. that's kind of, we're taking a cue from that. And even with all the noise and all the bravado and all this. Well, we know, vibrato, we know exactly yeah. what they're writing into. And we know what yeah. kind of movie we came to see. We have all this knowledge that the characters in our universe don't have. We but always saying, do. Even after uh, yeah. literally hundreds of viewings, I still get nervous. Yeah. Like, I still, like, this is so bad. Yeah, all the humor. The, the other thing I might cut, although I might leave it in, from the extended version is... is uh, Hudson's expanded yeah, description of the stuff that they're bringing down with them to fight whatever they think they find I, down I there. I agree. I don't. I found that I don't, distracting mm-hmm. this last viewing. Yeah, I don't think you need. I. I, I mean, I, I. I. The rest of the drop sequence is thrilling and fun. I don't think you need that little extra bit. Although, again, it's just another chip in the pile of. You are, you just Here, have I, no clue. Can I ask you guys, I want your thoughts on something. Um, I'm going to, we're still in the drop sequence. Uh, so um, I, I, and this is obviously where we'll pick up, but I don't know that I want to have this in next week's show. Uh, Ripley's the one who says, you know, how, Lieutenant, how many drops is this for you? Well, she noticed that he's tense and freaked out once they start dropping out of the mothership yeah no she yeah. i think it's not just that it's i think she's been picking up all these cues from him right she but knows he, that he's he he is sweating shaking he is absolutely freaking out when the thing starts dropping and mm-hmm. that's makes her sort of rather instead of saying why are you freaking out she politely yeah, asks, and i guess how many combat how many drops is this for you and of course Vasquez and, and I guess other no one else. Yeah, no one else can it. ask. Yeah, no one else can ask that because right. they're they're underlings. They're underlings. they're, they're, they're lower uh, rank. And what's his and number? So it, either, uh, it would se- either be seventy six or something. Simulated. No, thirty six. Thirty six. How, how many combat, combat drops? drops? Three, including this one. Yeah, Vasquez yeah. says that. How many combat drops, dude? <laughs> Since we're yeah. talking yeah. about this, yeah, three, including three. this one. And she says, um, oh, "Man, yeah, talk about adding to the angst." Right, and then I believe that's um, where the Vasquez Drake sex scene happens, right? Correct in the uh, in the uh, supercut. Yeah. Now, when super they, they, they take a little break to the little APC uh, head, and I just always like, thought it was mm-hmm. cool that they're inside a truck, inside a ship, inside a ship. Oh, it's fantastic! <laughs> it's yeah. this this just this way everything has its own place and stuff. It's all very efficient. Ron yeah. Cobb's. Uh, it's not as busy a set design because they don't invest in it the same way they invested in alien they have a lot more they have to cover but it it mm-hmm. still has that great like joel says lived in a uh, functional quality to it all it's really really yeah. powerful and, well and they're all everyone's so you can tell everyone's familiar with this there's no one look i mean other than gorman of course but everyone is just like i mean like we said hicks falls asleep so and the the old-fashioned green screen opticals of the planet below them of gateway station and the earth and it, it's they're they still look great. You can kind of tell they're mm-hmm. models, but in that way, they're almost better than CG in some ways because they have dimensionality Dimension. to them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, 
it's you know yep. given how given the the resources they were given to make this a decent budget but just this was felt like one of the biggest movies of this era of films and it just from a budget standpoint it was not it was it was little more than alien which was you know 7 years of inflation ago it, yeah it, it's impressive what they get done yep so um all right so next <laughs> week we are going to pick up we are going to um start with our fly through of the uh of Hadley's Hope. Hadley's Hope. We're in the uh, pike. And five, we're in the pike. Five five, five, five. And uh and and we're gonna pick Where's it up. Where's the damn beacon? Yep, we're gonna pick it up there. And uh in the meantime, you can uh share with us your thoughts on the on the different characters of uh did we aliens. somehow skip your favorite moment in the first third of aliens? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I don't know uh, how well, we, we could have talked a lot about if we, we did, talked a lot about the up. characters. Yeah. And hey, do you have do you have a thought on on Vasquez and Drake? See, what I was trying to find is I was pretty sure in a moment coming up where uh, Vasquez hands Drake a uh, magazine, a, a magazine. He says, thank you, baby. I, I really I, no, I, I don't know. So I'm going to go back and I'll, I'll have an update on that by next week. Oh and um, I, I could have just been hearing things. And um, he definitely says something, but I yeah, can't. Remember. Said, I don't know I, if it's I, that. Um, but I'll check on that, and then uh, and that's where we will pick up. In the meantime, even if you're you sleeping with her, it doesn't seem like a safe thing to call Vasquez in any sort of context. Actually, maybe fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but you reach out to us, give us your thoughts on the uh, on and the characters. If you think and that it's cool that they're just combat buddies and stuff, please come to my defense because I just I've thought that all this time, but it never occurred to me they might be sleeping together until you guys just piled up on me. I've never here's what not I, thought I just, that. I, it's I've not, also never not thought that. Yeah, and I'm sure um, you're not I, alone. Here's also what but, I'll say. Here, well, I mean, actually, I mean, uh, in the quick thing I was trying, that's what I was trying to find when I was asking you guys to talk about Spunkmire and stuff, yeah. is uh, is trying to find that moment. Um, most people uh, most people actually think Vasquez is a lesbian, and that's yeah. actually the big thing. But, but that fits into 1986's viewpoint of masculine, of women possibly who might show some masculinity anyway i uh, just no. think there's real value in a screen relationship between two people like this that are this bonded that has nothing to do with rutting that's my no, only I, hey, final point on it i agree with i completely agree with you it's just something there was a there's a and i feel like my that, innocence uh, has been shattered by now that i it's have to not cope necessary with the idea that, that that's what it is but i have always understood it. yeah yeah, I always just sort of felt my, that way my, too. My interpretation is that yes, they are a couple. yeah. I don't think that I don't think that Spunkmeyer and uh, and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh are doing you know, but they're they're a call they're you know they're a team. They but they, they could be. Together. They spent a lot of time. They have away. an old married couple way of interacting with one another. Correct, but I do it's not true. think that they are. I do just not think that they are here. having uh, <laughs> relations. Anyway, you can reach out to us at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, and now on TikTok, and uh, <laughs> Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com and the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on facebook and if you're on youtube you already uh if you're watching us on youtube like and subscribe uh and tell your friends uh all right that is going to do it michael thank you again so much for joining us and we will see you of course next week and dear listener i hope that you will join us next week for our continuing discussion of james cameron hey michael what's better than a whole week of talking about aliens two whole weeks <laughs> <laughs> baby ow there it is 
I think that is <laughs> where we leave this episode. All right. And remember, Carter Burke is the best. Yay. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.